Join the party and spirits are playing in your city. God, we're so excited. Eric will be wearing his DMing glove the entire trip. I'm both worried and excited. Seven cities, 10 days at the end of March 2024. Your two favorite podcasts, Join the Party and Spirits, are performing live. We're playing games, rolling dice, making monsters, and a whole lot more. So come see us in Seattle at the Hereafter on March 21st. Minneapolis at Granada on March 22nd. Chicago at Reggie's on March 24th. Boston at the Rockwell on March 25th, New York City at Littlefield March 26th, Philly at City Winery March 27th, and D.C. at Atlas Brewworks on March 28th. Get your tickets right now at jointhepartypod.com slash live. That's jointhepartypod.com slash live. There you can see all the ticket links and find the city that works for you. When you're rolling the bones, your future is looking good. Join us. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Spirits podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 327 here with past future guest, past friend, <laughs> current husband, future husband, if I'm lucky, Eric Silver. Also current friend too. Current friend, past boyfriend, past fiance, current husband, future guest, Eric Silver. It's me. Hello. Hello. I will also say that only applies to one of us on this call and not the other. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I've been Jake the whole time. Oh, whoa. <laughs> it's, That's weird. It's been like that sitcom episode where someone has like two dates to the prom. Mm. So I've been going in between Brooklyn and Long Island wearing different <laughs> clothes a lot. I can't believe you're Mrs. Doubtfiring me. How could you? <laughs> A real Boeing, Boeing situation. Jesus Christ, Amanda. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I can't believe Julia's been married to an 80-year-old woman this whole time. Mm, that's true. But, it's a uh, joke. That did but happen to me. derailed me by making an incredibly niche uh, joke, which again, I forgot I'm on spirits. So everyone is standing and applauding who's listening to it. Correct. They are. The home field advantage. But Eric, you are not just here as a past and future guest, past, current, and future friend uh, to Julia, <laughs> past, fiance, current husband to me. You're also here as the Spirits Golem Correspondent, TM, TM, TM. Hello. Yes. It's finally time to talk about golems again. It's only been, you know, six years and 300 and some episodes. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Five days since I lost all my shirts. I forget how that I forgot how that goes. That's that's the lyric. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. That's pretty close. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, five hours since uh, a storm and a uh, indescribable amulet awakened you from uh, statue to person. So uh, that's what I've been doing. I they keep me in a library wrapped in a talus. Yeah. And then they they write something on my head. They write podcast on my head, and then they erase the p, and then oddcast. I die. <laughs> I was gonna ask, what do they have to erase to deanimate you? And you yep. got there. I didn't even have to prompt you. Yeah. But Eric, you smashed in like Bruce Banner, modern golem himself, to perhaps. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. To declare that we were doing this episode because you came (laughs) across a Hallmark movie titled Made for Each Other. How did this cross your timeline, Eric? Uh, Twitter. (laughs) Great. Very no nice. other questions. We're done. <laughs> Period. Done. And uh, at what point in the uh, short two-sentence summary did you think, 
this movie's been made for spirits. Hey, first of all, I have a bone to pick with the internet that you were on, Amanda. You're literally on Jewish romance discord. Yeah. I'm not sure why they didn't service this to what you happened, and Amanda? I was the one who had to do it. Like I was sorting through all of the terrible Dungeons and Dragons hot takes mm-hmm. and like Pokemon specific accounts that I love <laughs> to find this for it to come through. I'm surprised you didn't hear about it. I am as well, and I'm very plugged into romance novel internet, but romance rom-com movie internet is is a related but distinct entity. Lots of romance readers don't watch romance movies or rom-coms for that matter. And something that struck me while watching this movie, which we will recap for you listeners in a few minutes, is that I've never seen the faces of any of these people before because it's like Hallmark actors are their own bubble and universe, and I have never seen the faces of any of them ever before and perhaps never again. I've seen a couple of these people in other stuff because famously, as we've talked about before on the show, Jake loves Hallmark Christmas movies. And there were a couple of Hallmark Christmas movie crossovers here on the show. So I've seen a couple of faces in the crowd here. (laughs) In the crowd. Yeah, it's like the the scene in The Matrix where he sees the lady in the red dress as they're walking through the crowd. I like that. That's me, but with Hallmark actors. And that's Doris. Doris is always in the back, just eating rugula out of her back. Yep. yep. Sorry, Eric, do you mean arugula? I mean arugula. Oh, God. (laughs) Even I knew that was wrong. Oh, my God. This is the thing that always gets me uh, heated. And then I remember, oh, I'm in the, I'm now in the minority group, Christmas movie group, because this happens to anyone who's not straight up white and Christian and from a big city or Midwest is like, you know, it's just throwing all of the language in there, like to meet like a quota. Like, oh, I get a like 30, like you're typing, it's 30 words per minute. Mm-hmm. It's 30 Yiddish words per minute. It's like how on Billions, they just have the youngest person in the room say TikTok every few episodes to remind you that they're plugged as Generation Z. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like the pronunciation of Rugelach was insane to me. Uh, and everyone <laughs> and kept, kept saying, saying it. They kept saying a Rugelach and it's germane <laughs> to, to the plot. plot to the yeah. plot. Oh, my God. And they also, like, it wasn't consistent across the board. Several pronunciations happened in that movie. <laughs> no, no. And that's that's my first question. Like, I don't know if I should be asking for this, but, like, how many of these actors do you think were Jewish? Maximum of two. I was going to say two or three. I was going to say that the main woman and the main guy, Alexander Tertian, who played Rachel, the sculptor, and Matt Cohen, who played David, the comedian, they, I think, could have been Jewish, but I'm really only gleaning from last name. But again, they all pronounced Rugelach differently and wrong. It's so like I don't a, know. It's like a dialect coach said, no, no, no. We here in uh, some set version of New York say it, Rugula. It's Anna Tefka, actually, available. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we talk about this movie before we dig into the serious problems that I had with it? Please, please. Uh, I want to start off just by saying, I think as a Hallmark movie, and I am comparing this also to like the other Hallmark movies and Christmas Switch, it was up there. I thought the some of the dialogue was pretty good. I thought that the, that at least uh, the actor who played uh, Rachel uh, with her eyebrows were great. Mm, her eyebrows were great. And I thought there was like a lot of interesting conversation about this, especially as a jumping off point of the Golem, whether or not this is a Golem story, I'm not sure about, or if they just kind of said it. And I, I like that it's a jumping off point. Um, so I would give this like a solid seven on the Hallmark movie scale. Mm. Now, I, compared to other movies, I don't know. But on the Hallmark movie scale, pretty good. Absolutely. And why don't I give a quick plot summary of the movie uh, before we jump even further in. The listed description, which made Eric think for sure this must be on spirits, is made for each other, follows a sculptor who uses magic to create her ideal man and bring him into reality. But she then starts to fall for her real life friend and learns to appreciate the flaws that make love perfectly imperfect. And the headlines on on like Twitter and social media were like, oh, my God, there's a Golem Hallmark movie. We got to check it out. And just to add on to that summary, you know, yeah, Rachel is a sculptor. Her uh, parents are weirdly supportive of her artistic career. Shockingly. She is, is teaching. Wait, hold on a second. Are they? <laughs> well, they're not. Mm, they just want her to get married. The career part, the mom is very supportive. She's like showing up to shows and be like, my daughter is great. And she's like, this is for the kids. Like, this is for the students. Right. Mom, stop centering me in this conversation. Yes. Their relationship is really wild in that, like, oh, yeah, this is something. And again, like the Jewish motherness of this, I'm still not sure how re- it's like 
I guess it's real, but I feel weird that you just showed a bunch of Christians this. Yeah. <laughs> They're like enjoying this. I'm like, okay, the relationship between the mother and Rachel is that like she more wants her to be married than anything else, but it's also everything are on the parents' terms. Mm. It's like you, it's, I want you to get over the main conflict in the beginning is that Rachel has not shown her work in a very long time because she got a really bad review, which I also thought was really great. I love that that was the the main conflict. Relatable, And then yeah. the parents were like, or the mom specifically, was like, oh, get over it and just do your shit because I think you're great. And once you accept that, not in like a RuPaul the Drag Queen way, like in a in a like a RuPaul the Media Mogul way. Sure, it's like do what I want, and then and then I know you'll succeed because I said so, and do everything that I say. Yeah, exactly. It's also embarrassing for Judith, Rachel's mom, that her younger daughter Ruth is getting married to some fucking drip, and uh, that they were the worst couple ever. I know, the nothing relatable or no family resemblance at all as well between yeah. uh, any of these actors. But yeah, so Judith is you know, both kind of, I think, embarrassed for herself that her younger daughter's getting married before the older daughter, which, you know, from time in memoriam is a problem in romance-related novels and movies, and really is pressuring Rachel to find a date to her sister's wedding, because if not, Judith is going to set her up over and over again, including at her student's art exhibition, where Judith, like, interrupts her opening speech to be like, where's your art, teacher? And then Rachel's like, hi, mom. And she's trying to set her up with just, like, a really weird cardiologist, and she's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Though, great statement glasses. Eric and I, the whole time, were like, look at those glasses. Damn, I know. I kept wanting to try to figure out. I'm like, those aren't Warby Parker. Where did you find those? <laughs> Rachel, chatting with her BFF and next-door neighbor, Doris, is talking all about uh, how she wishes, you know, that she could just bring her sculpture, pan over to uh, a, like, CGI latex form of Aaron O'Donnell, who plays Clay. Her perfect man, which she spent years and years making, but doesn't feel like she wants to exhibit because she's, you know, worried about that critique like you brought up, Eric. And then Doris launches into the ancient Jewish folktale of the golem. Yes. Can I read what Doris said? Yes, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Hundreds of years ago, rabbis would create sculptures of men made out of clay. Then they would bring them to life to defend their communities and, you know, generally tidy up around the house. Not bad. Not bad. I've heard worse descriptions of golems. <laughs> I know the doors kept pulling Ruggalook out of her bag and giving it. I thought it was really interesting that they put a medallion on the sculpture to turn it real. Um, I was looking at that sculpture. It was really weird. I paused it. There were like some Hebrew words around it. I actually thought it was something from like the Israeli arming that or like a talisman that just had like words of encouragement because I saw one though a word that was hazak on it which means strength mm -hmm. so I thought it was just like some Kabbalah bullshit or like something something that you were like oh I'll bring you whatever as you do it which I thought was weird live laugh love protection <laughs> strength <You're> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah live laugh love and then, of course, the thunder, the thunder and lightning going when the, when it was happening. I was, was like, so "Oh funny. no, are we going to be struck by lightning like in Frankenstein?" Which, you know, again, another uh, inspired by a golem story. We're going to talk about that later too. It, exactly. The illusion, the illusion was really funny. Mm -hmm. It was. But then Clay, her sculpture, comes to life. Everyone calls him Clay. No one remarks on it. It's incredibly funny. And then the, the rom-com proper is off to the races, where Rachel has her perfect man, somebody devoted only to her, whose only purpose in being brought to life through this talisman and the, you know, wishes and manifestation, uh, as they Rachel does with a, an eye roll, which is the most relatable she was to me during this. And... She has to decide whether somebody who, you know, loves her entirely, who is unformed and, and gets formed only to serve her, who her parents are pressuring to become a lawyer. And he's just like apparently endlessly smart and aced his LSATs on a practice test. He's just he's a hot himbo. But at the same time, he's incredibly smart. So I'm just yes. very curious about the design of who Clay is as a character. His like stupidity, but also competency. I think was super funny and honestly kind of on point mm -hmm. how it's like, well, Clay can put his mind to anything because he just gets told to do it and he's not held back by all the other stuff that, that humans are. I doubt. That was very funny. Eric. Like doubt and love yeah. and thinking. And, and ego. And jazz flute. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the jazz flute C-plot. I, I was incredible. It was just like, yeah, there was this guy who is, who is, so the comedian Matt, who is the other part of the point of the love triangle. David. 
Oh, sorry. I'm looking at the actor's name. I'm sorry. David the Comedian. I need to name them like this is a Jewish folktale. Like, I need to say their name and then their job. Gotcha. Like, it's Clay. So it's Rachel the Sculptor, David, David the Comedian, Clay the Golem. Mm-hmm. David the Comedian has used to be a lawyer, and he has this big fucking lawyer-ass apartment. Mm-hmm. Like a penthouse. Like, you see that freestanding fireplace room divider situation? It was incredible, man. But there was no door on that room, and he was renting it out as a room to someone. I'm just like, put <laughs> yeah. a curtain there, maybe? Julia, I thought the exact same thing. Later, a shot does reveal, like, the edge of a sort of sliding metal, like, warehouse-style door. Oh, uh, okay. And I was like, okay, I guess. But yeah, it, it is inexplicable how he afforded such a nice apartment and how Rachel affords both a studio where she also has school and and um, her very nice loft apartment. But anyway, that's that's just a given. I thought that this was funny, though, because David was still holding on to his lawyer apartment. But yes. instead of giving it up, he keeps trying to have like ramshackle roommates come in. Exactly. So his nephew was standing there and his like sister, <laughs> who uh, his nephew was staying there and he, his nephew was supposed to be playing the LSATs. Uh, or, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's playing the LSATs. <laughs> Julia, it's all the questions you don't do. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> so he should have been studying for the LSATs, but he didn't because he's really into jazz flute. And I really like, it's so funny. And he leaves no and then Clay it. moves in. So it's, it's so awkward. Exactly. There's truly no point to that subplot whatsoever. Just to, just to get Clay in there. I don't, there was truly no other reason why David and Clay would interact other than Clay being his roommate. What they could have done was had the guy who's getting married to Rachel's sister, Ruth, just have him his former roommate and then is moving out because he's getting married. Oh. That could have solved the problem and just not included the jazz flute at all. Julia, that's good. And But then we couldn't see two actors who are clearly within five years age of each other play a grown uncle and a nephew. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's very true. Or they could have both been in like his wedding party or something. But exactly. I was actually really impressed at the clip with which this tight 84 minute movie was moving because the wedding is over like a quarter into it. And then we get to see Rachel, you know, like the like the summary said, kind of choosing between David, who is, you know, imperfect and, you know, acerbic and, you know, getting up in his own career and kind of figuring out what he wants to do and, you know, points out ways in which she's holding herself back versus Clay, who has no faults except that some has to tell him to clean up after he makes her like pavlova in his shared (laughs) kitchen apartment here's the thing i watched this the world premiere of it damn julia on peacock dang with commercials so it was two hours and i was like oh god this movie is dragging really the the last like 45 minutes i was like we have to we have to pick up the pace here (laughs) seriously we just need to which is probably like the last 20 minutes of the actual movie when you don't watch it with commercials. But yeah, it was commercialist for the first 45 minutes and then like every five minute commercials for the back half. And I was like, you're going to make me watch all this. OK, OK, it's fine. That's true. They did load it up with commercials mm-hmm. in the back. We watched a recording of it on the Hallmark Channel. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, yeah, get it because we got the same love you, Wary. Yes. The yes. same commercials on Hallmark about some like true crime romance series. Yeah. That they were pushing. But listen, guys, this is all to say that uh, this is the movie. I, I think I think we enjoyed it. That's uh, literally it. I, I did, think we nailed the, it. That, that's the whole thing. Yeah, is is Rachel gets to choose between uncomplicated, you know, thing that checks the box and and love, which involves risk and, and being known. Like, I want people to watch the movie. I don't want to spoil too much because I think if you want to watch it, you can. The there are some funny things. There's no spoilers. It's it's exactly what you think it's gonna be. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about the ending. Let's talk about the ending at the end. That okay. way people can can listen to and enjoy the the rest of this movie. My three favorite things about this is one, Rachel the sculptor's eyebrows. Mm, Incredible. They were so assertive. And I was like, if she's not Jewish and they're just giving her heavy eyebrows to make her seem Jewish, I'm not sure how I feel about that. She started the movie and her headshot is in a lovely pair of overalls. So her her overalls for me were as her eyebrows were for you. All of her outfits were very like on point for you, Amanda, particularly. Every time she came out with an outfit, I'm like, oh, Amanda would look really cute in that. Oh, Amanda would look great in that. Thank you. Except for her hideous dress at her sister's wedding. You would look better better in that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. My second favorite thing was David, the comedian. Every time he kept doing jokes vaguely about Jewish life. Yes. And his big thing 
that his like big joke was about just explaining what Yom Kippur is. Mm-hmm. Which listen, I'm sure people are doing every night on the stage. But like somewhere. it wasn't that funny. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it it wasn't was simply explaining Yom Kippur. And every time he would walk off, and then the guy who was like running the open mic that he was doing it at was like, "Oh my God, David, so funny! What a great joke!" High five. Like, his big ending was just like Yom Kippur is when you fast, and then he would like, and then everyone laughs and claps. Um, and then the other, th- my third favorite thing was. The thing that Clay gets into is cooking, and he gets so into it, and that's the thing that he's balancing between is, like, is he supposed to be a lawyer because that's what supposedly a good husband for Rachel would be, or is he going to go to cooking school? For his passions. Yeah, his new passion, which is just, like, food, which Mm -hmm. was so funny to me. Mm -hmm. And which I thought was actually a really interesting thematic tie-in to Golem lore. So maybe that is where we can go next after a quick refill. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Refill. Welcome, uh, first and foremost, to our newest patrons, Kelly, Mel, and Convoluted. Thank you so much for carving out some money of your budget each month to support an independent podcast that you really love, like Spirits. You join the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Anne, Brittany, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Muselkins, Lily, Megan Moon, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and our legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi Yokai, Clara, Ginger Spurs Boy, Morgan, Sarah, Schmitty, and BMEF Scotty. If you would like your your name read by me or Julia, one of us two, those voices you know, saying the name that is yours, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. It's not like a listed benefit because, you know, we just thank you because we're thankful. But uh, honestly, it's a pretty good one. So join us, patreon.com slash spirits podcast. My dad got me a tarot deck for my birthday this year, which he was like, oh, I assume you have a bunch of these, but I just wanted to, you know, give you one. And I saw it and I thought of you and I realized that I didn't. I have the Major Arcana Spirits merch, which you can buy at spiritspodcast.com slash merch, but I haven't actually ever owned a tarot deck. And so I have been starting my mornings by drawing a tarot card and looking up the meaning and thinking a little bit about what that card can teach me for the day and what it can ask me to focus on and how I can use it basically as like a prompt for journaling and reflection and making my day a little bit better and a little bit deeper and a little bit richer. And you know what, guys? It's great. You've been talking about it for ages. We've talked about tarot so many times on the show in so many forms, and it's great. So if you don't have a tarot deck, you can do like one of the apps that does a virtual reading. You can uh, look it up. You can ask a friend like my sibling did for me in early lockdown to send you photos of their drawings every day. But hey, Tarot, give it a go. There has also been so much happening here at Multitude. And one of those things is that we have added even more exciting benefits to the Multi-Crew, which is the membership program, not unlike a Patreon, that helps Multitude invest in new work and try new stuff. It is hard running a small business out here in the digital media landscape. Um, Lots of businesses go under all the time. But ours is doing okay, partly because of the Multi-Crew, because people give us some money each month to get exclusive benefits like free tickets to digital and physical live shows and access to special channels of our Discord, our behind-the-scenes newsletter that community manager Rue works hard on every month, our friends-only Instagram, our Finsta, uh, which is, I know, not what Finsta stands for, but it's what it stands for for me. Uh, And our brand new perk is the Collectors Club at the $20 tier, which is when a different multitude host or staff member each quarter curates something special for you to enjoy and for us to discuss together. And I can now say that the very first one I picked, and it's pollinator-friendly wildflower seeds that grow well in the geographical area of each of the people we are sending them to. And then we're going to meet later in April to talk about what it's like to plant wildflowers and how that process has been going. So we are so excited. Every month is going to be something different, something intended to inspire, entertain, and spark conversation with your fellow multi-crew members. So we are so excited uh, to be adding 
it in addition to the things like at the founders tier, which is $50 a month. People sign up for it and get their actual physical name engraved on a real plaque on the wall of our studio. But they also get to have private hangouts with our hosts uh, each year. So check it all out. It means a lot to us. And if you have a little money to spare, even five bucks a month, it would make a difference at multicrew.club. Join us today. We are sponsored this week by Queer Candle Company. This is a sponsor I am so excited to have on the show and that I've been enjoying uh, lighting a candle here in the studio when I am here on my own or if I'm like doing any organizing. It's just a way to make each moment feel a little bit more special. And these are small batch soy wax candles hand poured with love by this queer and trans owned business. The candles are also topped with a variety of botanicals, including pressed flowers, dried herbs and zested aromatics. They look so beautiful and it's Something I haven't seen other candles do. I'm honestly really impressed that there is innovation in the candle space and Queer Candle Company is doing it. They are also donating 10% of monthly profits to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project and sell DIY refill kits online. So any candle you buy from them is endlessly refillable. These are great folks. You should follow them on social at Queer Candle Co. on Insta and TikTok. But more importantly, if you want to check out their beautiful stuff and order a candle for yourself or a loved one, go to Queer candleco.com and use code spirits for 10% off your first order. That's queercandleco.com, code spirits. One of my goals for the year was to reduce my personal uh, carbon footprint. And one of the ways I'm doing that is shopping locally more often as someone whose sizes are not particularly often stocked in stores near me. I was so used to buying clothes online that I almost kind of forgot that I could buy stuff not online, which sounds really silly, but it's been really great to focus more on running errands physically. And I am, you know, getting out more, walking more, seeing shopkeepers more and being a little more more intentional about the stuff I'm purchasing because I need to like go through physical effort and not just a few clicks when I actually want to buy it. So for lots of reasons, that's been working out great. But one of the things that I don't have to worry about doing more sustainably is buying single use plastic with my cleaning products because I have been on that blue land train for years. They are on a mission to eliminate single use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet. You just get a lovely, endlessly refillable bottle. And then you drop in the tablet, fill the thing with water and wait for them to dissolve. You never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies and lug them home on your grocery run. Refills start at just $2.25 as well. And you can set up a subscription so you don't have to worry about buying it yourself. You got to try their clean essentials kit. It's amazing. They have three bottles of cleaner plus a bottle of hand soap. And you can match me because I have that in my own home. So to get 15% off your first order, go to blueland.com slash spirits. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash spirits. That's blueland.com slash spirits. Finally, the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You guys know that I recently turned th 31. How old is my 31? That's how I know I'm in my 30s now. And I'm pretty amazed that even 31 years into uh, living as this one person in this one body, in this one planet, I am still learning new things about myself. And it's pretty amazing because... I don't know, like it, it sounds so obvious when I say it about my friends or loved ones that, you know, of course, like you're always going to grow and change and like new stuff happens and you react to it differently and blah, blah, blah. But somehow it feels like I should be different and that I should know everything I need to know about myself and I should know exactly how I respond to different situations and exactly how to make my life happy. But I don't. And so one of the ways that I am helping get used to my new life, right? Like every day I'm a little bit new and I am trying to find out more about how to make myself happy and live a good life is via therapy. And before I could find therapy near me with someone who I clicked with, who was taking new patients who I could afford, I used BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a great way to start therapy if you're nervous about it and if you kind of want to test the waters. It's totally online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time if you don't click. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. Eric, we're back. You and I live together. So often when I talk about things I'm drinking, it's things that we are both really enjoying. But can you tell me what you've been enjoying uh, drinking alcoholic or not recently or something that reminds you of Coulombs? Well, you know, you can just erase the podcast that's written on my head and do Cran Grape. 
because I saw cran grape juice from Ocean Spray in the new grocery store that's near us. Shout out to Jubilee. It is so close and actually a good grocery store. I love it. And because I'm old now and I can't bend my body and I wake up hurt all the time, uh, I have to drink like the light juice. So they have like cran grape five, which has like five calories. I don't think it actually matters. And I don't care about like buying the light stuff. Honestly, it's because I'm old and I can't drink straight juice because it makes my teeth hurt. Because again, as I said, I'm old. Um, so shout out to uh, like, I think we're finally at the age where like, businesses are starting to take things from our childhood yes. and make them adult friendly. Yes. And I think that the ocean, this like ocean spray light juice uh, is doing it. I'm really enjoying Cran Grape. And I'm also enjoying the little uh, juice boxes of YooHoo that uh, we bought for a cabin trip. And then I there were a bunch of leftovers. I'm still drinking and I love it. There you go. Hell yeah. With our light Cran Grape juice in hand. Just little cups of it. Little cups. So I think the question before us that I'd love to tackle in the second half of this episode is, is this a golem story or does this story have more in common with maybe Pygmalion or one of the many other stories where people are made out of mud or clay? So I put it to the panel. Guys, what do we think? Eric, I, I, I we brought you on as the expert here, but sure. I'm watching this and I'm like, this seems like it's just Pygmalion and then you guys added Golem for an extra level. And from what I remember from what you taught us about Golems, it doesn't quite seem right to me. No, I agree. That was the first thing that I thought of as soon as like reading the summary is like, oh, she's making a thing. She's making the perfect man out of clay. Like there it is. I know that like we've moved away from it a little bit from what we understand of Pygmalion. If we're my fair ladying it or we're can't buy buying me loving it, which just means improving a shitty <laughs> a <laughs> shitty romantic partner into a better romantic partner. But maybe it's closer to the original story, which I actually don't know. Though I would like to throw in that maybe this is an inversion of the Kolobok, which is the main character of an East Slavic national fairy Ooh. tale, which is uh, instead of the uh, gingerbread man, it's a little ball of dough that runs around. <gasps> I love him. <laughs> I think Amanda and I uh, twinsied on that one. <laughs> yes. I was looking up like other creating loved ones myths and the gingerbread man led me to this one. It is just like a, a ball of dough running away from foxes, <laughs> foxes so in the Eastern Slavic woods. So oh it's God. not this, but uh, y'all, it's it's adorable. A truly incredible uh, honorary mention. Julia, could you refresh the listeners and certainly not your co-host on this podcast what the story of Pygmalion consists of? Sure. So Pygmalion was a, a story that was told by Ovid. It predates Ovid's metamorphosis, but it was pretty much solidified by the the story there. Pygmalion was basically this sculptor who decided that, you know, basically like, no woman is good enough for me. Every time I try to find the right woman, she just is, I, I see her fault and I just don't want to handle this anymore, right? And so he decides he's going to carve the perfect woman out of ivory and he calls her Galatea and he basically is like, you're so perfect. He falls in love with her immediately. He like is kissing the statue. He's like bringing the statue gifts. It's a whole like situation. And so Aphrodite's festival day comes along and Pygmalion goes to the altar of Aphrodite, brings her some sacrifices, brings her some gifts. And he is like too scared to kind of admit out loud what he really wants. But he prays to Aphrodite and he is like, please just bring a living likeness to my ivory girl. And so nothing happens. He's like, okay, sure, Aphrodite, here's your offerings. Goes back to his house, does his usual thing of uh, kissing and touching the statue, um, <laughs> and finds when he kisses the lips of the statue, the lips feel warm. He kisses it again, and he finds that the ivory has lost all of its hardness, and she becomes like a full-fledged woman, and Aphrodite has granted Pygmalion's wish for Galatea to become real. That's it, right? And then he marries her. Yeah, yeah, is like, everything okay? It. Yeah, what happens? everything's fine, I guess. It's just normal <laughs> after that. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Everyone's like, hey, Aphrodite, good job. Yeah, they're like, hey, Aphrodite, that's great. Thanks, bud. Awesome. It's like, hey, don't worry. There are gods that control every single specific part of our lives. So don't forget that. Don't forget that. The gods, sometimes they're good. So that definitely maps onto some parts of Made for Each Other, but not all. I mean, I was viewing this as a golem story, given the framing of the like Jewish media being like, is this anything that I saw online? But Eric, how do you think this compares to the myth of the golem and the story of the golem overall? And 
what do you think would qualify this as a golem story if it was? Yeah, I mean, I want to give some points first to the first thing is that like, Rachel has incredibly high standards, which is exactly what Julia said. Mm -hmm, totally. Um, it seems like Clay, even though she is a sculpture and she makes the rest of the stuff out of clay, it seems like clay is made of out of ivory in the original thing. There's a point where, like, after all the woo-woo shit that they do and the lightning comes down, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, my God, Clay winked at me, which seemed very similar to what you said about, oh, yeah. these, these lips are kissable. Yes. Big Bailey and you fucking freak, I guess. <laughs> So I, there is a lot of stuff in there, but I just a refresher on the Golem story. I also want to give a real big shout out to the Jewish Museum in Berlin, who really nicely summed up everything, which I did not have in 2016 when I originally did this episode. I think they literally must have published this webpage like weeks or months after we recorded our episode in 2016, because <laughs> this uh, this is like everything that you went over. Yeah. Yeah. So a quick summary, I'm just going to read what they have. A golem is a creature formed out of a lifeless substance, such as dust or earth, that is brought to life by ritual incantations and sequences of Jewish letters, usually written on the forehead. The golem, brought into being by a human creator, becomes a helper, a companion, or a rescuer of an imperiled Jewish community. In many golem stories, the creature runs amok, and the golem itself becomes a threat to its creator. Boom. Pretty close to what Doris said, honestly. Like, after the golem stops protecting the Jews from the pogroms, there's usually, like, a whole thing of the rabbi being like, ah, golem, do my laundry. <laughs> and then the golem does it and then, like, falls in love with the rabbi's daughter, and that's where all the problems happen. The best-known version of the golem legend takes place in Prague and revolves around the studious rabbi Lowe. The first practical instructions on creating the golem can be found in medieval commentaries on Sefer uh, Yetzara, which is the book of creation. Originally, creating a golem was a way for medieval Jewish mystics to come closer to God. Yeah, Jewish folklore. Pretty. This is outside of the Torah. This is just some, some stories and some vibes. Exactly. And I, I was doing a little bit of reading um, just about a golem stuff in rabbinic commentary because I find that really fun. That was a point that I think is not really shown in a lot of golem media, that it's not like this unholy hubris, right? Where like a lot of like modern, you know, AI and robotics media, which, you know, is in the tradition of golems, will talk about how it's, you know, it's hubris. It's trying to make something bigger than you. Like, it you know, the, the creature will end up like taking over the world or taking over your intelligence. And that wasn't how it was. It was a pure and holy act. And and it was all about the like, you know, creative potency of Hebrew as a language and of studious people to be able to like feel what it's like to be like God. Yes, exactly. The Jewish Museum of Berlin sums this up beautifully. Central to the golem legend is the human desire to create together with a range of themes, including creativity, control, power and salvation. The golem also symbolizes each era's dreaded dangers and hope for redemption. Yeah. Very much so. I think that the three things that need to be here for a golem story Ooh. is one creation out of mud or dust, which we which we said, which is a thing that happens all over history. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can all go all, all the way back to Adam that Adam was created out of out of dust. Then there's a whole Wikipedia page about it, which we could just list off of after that. Um, the second, I think, is that there needs to be language involved. the The golem needs to come to life because of a word either being inscribed or written and then put into it. I think that that's really essential that like, not the word of God necessarily, but that like we can do something as humans to be close to the divine through creativity. I think it's very important to mm -hmm. golem to golem stuff. Exactly. And creativity as expressed through human language as well. And we, Eric, you and I both like look at each other. We're like, oh, good. They got it. When after Clay comes to life, Rachel's like, oh, wait, I sign all of my sculptures. Let me check behind your ear. And sure enough, her initials are carved and tattooed in this case um, into his skin where we're like, OK, good, good, good. If it was just the amulet, it'd be like, mm, I'm not sure about that. But it involved some amount of language. But I just don't understand why you didn't do that in the first place. Like, yeah. I don't know why we needed the amulet at all. I know. Dora should have been like, listen, this sculpture, it's perfect. Your, your you know, perfectionism getting in your way. Just sign it. It's done. Call or, it or done. Just, it's or done. Or just even write a dream yes. behind the dream you have behind the ear, which they already did. Like, I, and then yeah. they, they could have been the whole thing, which is one of my favorite things about Golem stuff and maybe about like all creatures that, you know, creatures that seem indomitable but have one weakness mm -hmm. is like there could have been a whole thing about like uh, if that gets smudged or if it gets ruined, then the golem stops being a uh, part of life. But also they ended up touching on this that like if the golem doesn't have purpose, it goes away. That's not necessarily true, but I did like that they put that in the movie. Sure. They needed some sort of like 
oh, but if you just let him go, he'll die, basically. Like, they needed to raise the stakes, I guess, in that sense. Yeah. They, like, alluded to it for a second, but they didn't do that at all, which right. was very annoying. Well, they do it at the end, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we when we hit the ending here. Yeah. And then third, the thing that is not in this story is that the golem needs to be created to protect a minority group or a group being persecuted from a majority group. Mm -hmm. It needs to, the golem is created for defense and for like defense, for retaining power, for uh, fighting off danger and for hopefully redeeming the minority group or the persecuted group because now they have like a super, but they have a secret weapon on their side, which is not in this at all and is not in a lot of stories that people say are golems. It's just like, look at this thing I made. It's big. <laughs> like that's that's what I think is really important as we start to like modernist and postmodernist have conversations about golems in stories. The movie as it is now, Eric, how would you incorporate that aspect into the film? Like what changes would you make to kind of incorporate that third thing? Let's keep this on like the Hallmark level. Yes. Like this needs to be on the hallmark. I think this real needs... estate developer. <laughs> no, it could have been something like that. Like you know, someone is getting kicked out of their house by the rich people. Mm -hmm. Like Rachel could have been the Jewish community center or something like that. You know? Yeah. Or Rachel. I mean, listen. Rachel also could have just been mugged, and uh, Clay could have fought them off. We could have alluded in a very hallmark way. Maybe it was like anti-Semitic or attacking a woman. I guess could be interesting because I guess that's romantic with throwing that in a rom-com. But I don't know how they could have necessarily gotten this forward because I don't know how a golem fits into a rom-com necessarily i don't know if that's that's why i thought this was pygmalion in, in yeah. the first place and i agreed with you i'm curious if maybe they could have done like protection from emotional damage and incorporated the fact that she is so scared to put her work out there again because of that negative review mm. and clay could have had something to do with protecting her from that criticism that's interesting. They also did not talk about the golem freaking out, which is another trope. I don't think it's necessarily needed in here, but I was waiting for Clay to get like super jealous or to go to the New York Schmimes <laughs> and shake down their art critic and to protect Rachel. A hundred percent. That totally could have been in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's also testament to her artistic ability because he starts making money by modeling and like gets it like he's like beautiful. Like, he's the, he's you know, the the perfect human form um, as far as all of these casting agents who like find his Instagram and blow him up, you know, are concerned. So that also is is proof, I think, to go in this whole this whole plot that she's really good at what she does. And, and he's like living proof of that. Yeah. I don't want to hate on Aaron O'Connell. He has obviously made a life out of being um, perfect. Just hot. And having just <laughs> sick abs all the time. But like, would Rachel... When she's creating the quote-unquote perfect man for her, does Clay look like a Hallmark man? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I would have thought that, like, maybe he would have been, like, super tall or broader or hairier or just, like, who, you know, I don't know. Like, David was very specific. Like, I knew he was the romantic interest. Amanda did not know. Uh, and I'm like, oh, no, this guy is because look at his fucking cheekbones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look at how, how, his, how his cheeks go in. Yep. Like, obviously, David also looks like what the Hallmark Channel says is the standard of beauty. So I would, I if she had created Clay, I wanted to know if he, like... You know, Dustin Hoffman was like five foot six and or even shorter. He was like five foot four. Paul Simon was like four, five, two. Like, I'm I'm surprised that he looked like something that would be in a Calvin Klein commercial, which is what they were riffing on in the jeans ad. If like that's what Clay was supposed to be, if he was like uh, fucking Fabio or something. I think that brings up a good point, though, because and I think we can talk about the ending now. So if you don't want us to spoil the ending in this movie. Stop listening, I guess. You should still um, watch this movie. You should it's, still it's watch wild. it. It's Pause wild. the episode, go watch it. It's on Peacock, and it's then come back to it. A tight 80 minutes. A tight 84 minutes with credits, yeah. The whole thing with her creating Clay is like, no man is good enough for her. And I think kind of the point of the film is like, Rachel doesn't know what she wants. Yeah. And so in creating Clay and Clay being this kind of like hallmark ideal looking man, I think that's kind of playing into the fact that it's like, as much as she thinks that might be her type, it's not actually her type. Yeah. He's an amalgamation of features, exactly. And I, I think in terms of casting, like he also was a very capable comedic actor. Oh, like yeah. we laughed at his antics a lot. Mm -hmm. he, he did a really good job in the role. And I think his body more than his face is sort of like a 
textbook, you know, averaging out, smoothing out of like, you know, oh, you you put piece together all the different features and, you know, and what do you get? But that's not the reality of love. And in swiping through her Tinder, like she is doing the same thing. She's like, oh, this weird feature. Oh, this like little thing. Oh, you know, I, I see in this picture that this one thing kind of set her off or made her eliminate people. And so Clay is like the dull, you know, he's a beautiful looking actor, I'm sure. But like he's sort of a, a dull, like median. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. All right, let's talk about the ending because Julie and I also want to improve on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, what what's her name? Rachel the sculptor. Again, I need to frame this like this is fucking Anna Tefkan. It's he's a fiddler on the roof. Yeah. he's the jazz the jazz flutist on the roof. That's why I liked it <laughs> because in these Jewish like folklore and the shetel stories, there's always like a musician. There's always music. I love that the wedding was early in the movie. I thought that was great. So at the end. Rachel, the sculptor, finally gets inspired. She submits something to this big art exhibition. She gets in. They're going to, like, read who's going to win the big prize at the end. And she gets the big prize. But Clay, after her mother does meddling, is pressured to propose to her and tries to steal her moment. My least favorite thing in the world! Terrible. I really like that, though, because it demonstrated what she, what her mom wanted and not yes. what she... It was literally, yes, yes. like I said in the beginning of this episode, in conflict between what Rachel wanted and what her mom said that she wanted. 100%. Which I, was, I honestly thought, and I honestly thought that was really good. Clay proposed... Uh, David left the the comedy festival. But don't like, worry, in the credits he got back somehow, maybe a different year. Yeah, yeah he he. I was like, oh no, Eric gets to think where he has to choose between his professional uh, desires and his outcome of love. All three of them were choosing it at the same time, mm-hmm. and and then uh, they all got what they wanted. Rachel and David got together and like they pushed themselves to be good, and Clay became a chef. Which was wonderful. And like one of the things that they touched on and then we touched on earlier in this episode was that like if Clay loses his purpose, he mm-hmm. stops existing. Right. right. And yeah. so Rachel does this thing at the end where she's like, oh, your new purpose is I don't even remember what she told him his new purpose was. Pursue happiness. To find his own happiness. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, how I thought this movie was going to end. I think I was thinking the same. Go ahead. Was earlier on in the movie. David takes a class with Rachel and the thing that he ends up sculpting in her class is a sculpture dog because he's like, I was allergic to dogs. I never got to have a dog, but I always wanted one. So this is kind of like the embodiment of the thing that I could never have. And as we've talked about before, Clay throughout this entire movie is just a just a himbo. Just like yeah. a dog of a man. And so I truly thought at the end that they were going to take that amulet off. They were going to put it on the dog sculpture that David made. And now they were just going to oh, have Clay the dog. That would have been nice. I thought similarly, because Rachel was like, oh, the thing I spent years working on is Clay. You know, she didn't say this, but like, it's Clay. He's walking around now. I thought she was going to have him like sit in as her exhibit and have to like take off the necklace to make him into a sculpture again. And I'm like, God, how fucking dark. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, she animated him for one purpose, which is loving her. And if she doesn't want that anymore, what do you do? And instead, she like overnight comes up with a very beautiful sculpture of herself, you know, sculpting something out of clay. It's learning how to love herself, Amanda. That's why she wins. It's not it's no longer about like her desires, but rather the desires of her childhood self and getting in tune with her artistic nature. Oh, crying (laughs) exactly that's why i thought that they did the medallion or the talisman in the first place because it would have been easier to take it off i was noticing throughout the whole thing if clay was wearing the necklace and he was yeah i think you would have only put it on there if you were going to take it off but they of course didn't touch that at all Mm -hmm. which which made me very very annoyed (laughs) i was like come on yeah and there was a moment where he was trying to take it off or something he's like no 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 no." (laughs) like uh, is clay going to for the rest of his life have to wear this if he takes it off he goes back to his statue I'm not sure. Maybe. Don't think too hard, Amanda. Don't think too hard. Is he not clay anymore if he takes off the statue because his whole purpose was like being made for Rachel? I don't know, man. Hallmark didn't think that far, and neither will I. No. I was glad because Doris points this out that if a goal, she, I think Eric, you may have written this down too, but she says like, you know, if a golem uh, no longer has a purpose, it, it no longer exists. And so I'm glad that Rachel kind of had that little forehead boop of a kiss to, you know, give him or cheek kiss, which in my mind was sort of the like reinscribing or changing of the letters mm-hmm. um, to, you know, give him a new purpose, which is what all of us want, which is to, you know, pursue our own happiness. Yeah. Hell yeah. There are some little Easter eggs in here about like those things at one point someone calls clay looks like a greek sculpture which which i thought was very (laughs) funny uh also clay because they didn't want to show dong of the hallmark channel i was like any other movie if this was pg-13 or more we would at least see like a little bit of butt but no butt no No butt. butt hallmark come on 
I know they should have done it a little bit. I thought it would have been funny, or I thought it was interesting that the blanket that they used to throw to wrap up his junk was fringed mm-hmm. because you're supposed to use a tallis to like preserve oh. the golem. So I thought that it was interesting. I don't know if that was intentional. I really want to quickly want to say what kind of movie was this? Was this a Pygmalion story or was this a golem story? I think it's Pygmalion. It's Pygmalion. I think yeah. It's definitely Pygmalion. Yeah. Totally. I think it was nice that they made like an allusion to Golem stuff, but like it really wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Golems are defined by not being able to speak in at least the, you know, the textual evidence. And that's why like golems can't be in a minion, a group of 10 Jews that you need in order to like say Kaddish and to pray for the dead, things like that. And you also like killing them isn't murder because they can't speak. Therefore, they're not people like that is the the rabbinical logic to all of this. So definitively not a golem. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Golem, he was he was fun. There are, are some other golems that we do know. Hey, let's play Is This or Is This Not a Golem in okay. the last few minutes of the Ooh, episode. Ooh, love it. I have four examples that I would love to touch on. Okay. Uh, one is a very classic story, and three are from comic books. Yay! Because uh, all made by Jews, so we're, it's all just kind of in the mix there. Let's talk about Frankenstein really quickly. Well, both Amanda and Julia know this as people who hung out at the Jekyll and Hyde Club yeah. <laughs> and love spooky and weird shit. But That's like, right. yeah, Mary Shelley was inspired by it. There's this it became more about the opposite, I think, of what the Golem story is, which is, oh, g- messing with creation. That's only what God is supposed to do. That's like a super Christian theme that you are not godly. You are not G- you are not neither the father, the son, nor the Holy Spirit. So you need to stay the fuck away. And anyone who has that hubris is a bad person, which I think is kind of what Mary Shelley was getting at. I mean, listen, well, let's talk about this is the opposite of the Tower of Babel, how the Christian God said, y'all are too good. Stop it. And the Jewish God is like, nah. Oh, cool. Uh, good job. Great job expressing yourself and mm-hmm. creating stuff. So I think that Mary Shelley, while she was trying to freak out all of her friends and have sex in a uh, in a graveyard, volcanic summer, yeah, yeah, yeah in a graveyard I, with a with a bleeding human heart next to it, I think she was doing something else with that. I will also point out that like Frankenstein's subtitle is the modern Prometheus and Prometheus from Greek mythology is one of the titans that molded human beings out of water and earth. So I think there are definitely like a lot of parallels happening there. And the fact that we get like the lightning and thunder, which we associate with uh, the story of Frankenstein a lot of times. So definitely. I was like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. Bedorf's like, oh, my joints. This is so hard. The elbow never lies. The next one, actually, we can talk about Wonder Woman, which is on the same Wikipedia page with the big list of creation of life from clay that I was looking into. This is straight up Pygmalion in the lore of Wonder Woman. Her mother, Hippolyta, on the island of Greek god ladies, she sculpted her out of clay and the Greek gods gave her life. So straight up, just straight up. Yeah. Fun fact. Word. Yeah. I think defending truth and defending all that stuff is interesting, but that's kind of more about like the Amazon stuff that all the all the boys were obsessed with when she was invented. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's uh, it's fine. It's all Greek mythology, baby. It's all Greek to me, which was a reference to something that happened on Spirit's podcast. Yeah. Something, something, Gal Gadot being Israeli, militarization. Moving on. So something, something, militarization, something, something. Uh, imagine all the people. <laughs> let's touch on the golem truly of comics and let's see if it is whether or not let's see if it is actually a golem story let's talk about the incredible hulk yay Hmm. okay so let's talk about our feet let's talk about our themes here one create was it created out of out of mud and earth no, no. kind of. The Incredible Hulk, well, uh, I, if you might remember, mild-mannered scientist gets zapped by radiation beam and turned into a big uh, a big hulking guy. I mean, that's kind of, sort of, like sculpture. The human body is the unformed clay that the Hulk is made out of when you think about it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we're using... When you think about it, radiation is an art form. <laughs> I guess, maybe, if we want to, like, smoosh it in one way. So that part, sorta. not quite. That box is not quite checked. Yes. But... The Hulk does defend Bruce Banner and others from injustice and from violence and sort of like steps in when Bruce doesn't want him to a lot of the time as well. Also doesn't have a great grasp of language. I know it's like different, you know, in different comics and there's smart Hulk and there's, you know, all kinds of things. But Hulk is not not (laughs) able to, it doesn't have full command of speech the way that people do, which I think is a really interesting aspect of this. Yeah. And it is more about power. I think this has more to do with like, Something, although this is a decent allusion to it, as Stan Lee did say that this was kind of sort of a golem story. And at one point, the Hulk does fight the golem, which is very <laughs> funny. That's cool. It's actually, this is more of like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Mm-hmm. I think this has to do more with like Bruce Banner wrestling with 
himself and like the two sides of humanity, the angry side and the like civilized side. Stan Lee, when he's like, ah, what do people like? They like uh, fight, they like monsters that fight things. Uh, it's closer to Jekyll. He said it's closer to Jekyll and Hyde and to Frankenstein and like the hubris of creating something out of science, yeah, sure. which is which is more straight up. I want to posit that the real golem is actually Steve Rogers in America's ass. That's Captain America. Oh, <gasps> tell us more. No, I see it. Right? I see yeah. it. Right? Pleasantly surprised and I see it. The first thing is that, again, we're doing we're doing the same science thing. Dr. Abraham Erskine mm. started the Super Soldier Project, turning little boys into big, big honking dudes using science. Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> the Tooch was like, what if we had big lads? I love this. So using science as like the creation myth is kind of interesting. Using what you have at your disposal is pretty good. We will come back to language as we talk about the third thing, which is defense. It's right there. Now, what we know about Captain America, Captain America goes out for the United States and fights Nazis. Yes. Even in World War II, Julia, what would you say the United States was in terms of, like, country and power? Are the Americans uh, kind of like a persecuted group of people? No, I'm going to say no. In 1940, America persecuted? No. No. Ah, but what was America doing while the rest of the world was fighting World War II? Belatedly defending Jews? Hmm? Ah. Yes, the United States was doing fucking nothing. Yep. They were sitting on their hands. If yep. you remember your U.S. history, they didn't get in until uh, until Pearl Harbor, which was like three years into World War II by that point. Yeah. So when we're talking about language and we're talking about someone defending others, hey, the Jews were getting holocausted the whole time and the United States wasn't doing anything. So the creators of Captain America, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, two Jews, wished that someone from America would go and fight the Nazis. Oh, so Eric, the character of Captain America is itself the goal. Exactly, yeah. the creation of, Ooh. and remember, the original comic, the first, co- the big popular cover was Captain America punching Hitler in the face, true. which was very, very divisive at the time in like 1942. Yeah. Dang, this is like, this this is like fourth dimensional chess, baby. Yeah. <laughs> There's layers. There's layers upon layers. I know that like Steve Rogers is truly like the airy and lovely guy, but I think that it, on it, like the creation of it, the wishing that Captain America would exist is the golem itself. I think another thing that's kind of interesting about this, and they do touch on this in the movie, um, the Hallmark movie, not the Marvel movies, <laughs> but they do a little bit, is that like Steve Rogers is a good guy and he's always a good guy. He can't be moved by like bullshit that other people are saying i think this is kind of pivotal in the civil war movie that like steve rogers is like hey i i don't like this when uh tony stark is like we have to do this because i said so and it's better for everybody Mm -hmm. but steve rogers has values i think it's also partial to like the idea the thing that happened very recently was like steve rogers was like a hydra and nazi spy the whole time is like no that would never happen because steve rogers has his pure of heart Mm -hmm. and i think that that's also something is like Captain America is someone you can depend on, and that is important to someone who is defending a persecuted group like the Jews in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Dang. Crushed it. So, I love it. None of these are golems except for America's ass. <laughs> Specifically America's ass. Incredible. I can't think of a better note to end on. Go ahead and watch Made for Each Other. It was genuinely very fun. And Eric, can you please let the conspirators know where they can follow you online if they have not already? Or check out your work. Oh, wowee. Uh, listen. <laughs> I'm Eric's make- doing a lot right now. I'm making four podcasts right now. You should listen to any of them if you would find that interesting. We just started a new campaign on Join the Party where we're all playing plant and bug people set in a pirate world. Ooh. It's like Redwall and Plants vs. Zombies meets One Piece and Pirates of the Caribbean. It's fucking awesome and a lot of fun to do. We've already recorded a few episodes of it and we're having a lot of fun and our theme song is absolutely banging. It's a full-ass sea shanty. Mm-hmm. Whole-ass sea shanty. Whole-ass sea shanty. Whole you can ass. listen to Games and Feelings with both Amanda and Julia Bid on, which is our Games Advice podcast that comes out weekly. If you need a new advice podcast that's good and also about games, I think that you'll really enjoy it. A good a good balance of actually good 
advice and games recommendations with jokes is what I would say. Perfect. Um, and Tell Me About It is out, which is the game show that I do with Adel Rafai of Hello from the Magic Tavern and Hey Riddle Riddle. Um, it's a madcap game show about proving that the things you like are good and interesting, where a multi-billionaire forces people to talk about their favorite things, which is very fun. And also, I'm producing The Distraction, which is the sports podcast from Defector, the worker-owned collective that is awesome and good for media at large. So I'm doing a lot. I'm very happy to come back. Uh, it was nice to do an episode where I did not have to quiz Amanda and Julia on everything. Woo! <laughs> we did Wee! it. And uh, Eric, as always, people can find links to those projects and many more on Twitter where you're at EL underscore Silvero, which is what, honey? Oh, that's my name if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler. Okay, cool, Wee! cool, cool. I don't know. Have you ever heard me say that before, Julia? No, never. Never in my entire life. Thank you, Eric, so much for uh, for being here. Thank you, Made for Each Other, for being a, a great window for our conversation. And uh, remember, even when your mom is pressuring you to find a date for your younger sister's wedding. Stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.